Welcome to the Crimsonian. This is Crimson. And this is Lori. And this is our weekly Happy Hour podcast where we talk about the most compelling and interesting stories of the week. Absolutely. So it's been a couple weeks since we saw you guys, which is my fault. I, I had to cancel the too. last one. And then Crimson went to Cleveland, and she loves Cleveland, you guys. I do love She's Cleveland. She's, like, obsessed with Cleveland. Yeah, well, I mean, it's cheap. The architecture is incredible. I mean, uh-huh. every building is, like, amazing. Uh, did you know that their, like, entertainment district is only second to Broadway? I did not There's know like that. There's, like, 13 theaters or something. They have a huge chandelier hanging in the middle of the road. It's really cool. They have a chandelier hanging I, I'm not shitting you. A chandelier. Um, I was impressed. And since it's by the lake, like, you have a little beach. I don't know. Like, we went to the beach one day. And, again, it's cheap. Like, I was looking at houses. Like, that's probably $800,000. We're in Cleveland. And then I would look, and it was, like, 400000 which... That's attainable at some point for many people. Yes, if you want yeah. to live in Cleveland. If you want to live in Cleveland. So you guys heard it here first. Crimson's totally moving to Cleveland. It's possible. She's in love with it. And it's seven. Go hang out with LeBron James. <laughs> seven hours from Manhattan. Not bad. Six from DC. This is really weird. Like you went there and you found out how. Yeah. You are in. I think she's really going, you guys. I mean, I live in Cincinnati, which is good. It's a good city, but like. I'm always looking to improve. Have you ever lived anywhere during the winter that's got lake effect snow? I don't give a shit about cold. It's the heat that turns me off. Girl, you go up there. You go up there sometime this winter. Well, maybe not. The, I mean, we didn't have winter last year. Well, so I'm maybe. actually thinking about going up there for the winter because they have a train, like an operational train uh-huh. that you can take train rides on, and they do like a three-hour Polar Express thing. So I might take my kid up in the winter. So Crimson's going to go to Cleveland and never come back. I think that's the net here. Maybe. If my house is worth what they say, I might if I can get that $400,000 lakefront property. It may happen. Even though, like, I don't want to clean that shit. I don't know why I would want that scrap footage. Oh, no. Fuck no. Yeah. Every time I think about a big house, I think about the small one I can't keep clean. Right. Exactly. It's not even like a small... uh, hmm. Right. Anywho, so uh, we're sad to say this is our last episode of season two. It's um, hard to believe it's been two seasons. Yeah, we have been doing this for over a year uh, with a very little break before. This time we're taking a little bit longer of a break, but I had to have a kid. So Crimson's having a kid, yeah. and as you guys know, I'm starting a business, and these two things have kind of started to come together. Yes. And we had to have kind of one of those difficult conversations today about prioritizing. But the good news is that we are not throwing in the towel. No, not at all. This shit is legit. Yeah, so we'll be back mid-October. Mid-October-ish. Maybe early November. Um, yeah, and we're going to we're gonna do some enhancements, hopefully bring some sponsors on, so we will have better quality content for you guys, um, and we'll sell ourselves out, which is awesome. Yes, to absolutely. Actually, like, That's my favorite thing to do. You know, if I could even pay to host the files uh, with... <laughs> Woo! That would be nice. We won. And maybe I wouldn't use, you know, get for a free website platform anymore and I would have a legit website. But, you know, we got to make money. Got to bring in the dollars. Um, Yeah, and we're sorry to leave uh, in the middle of the shit show that is Trump America. Well, you know, and I think one thing, we've pretty consistently had about 25 of you that are listening. And I just want to say thank you. 
Yeah, you guys are awesome. I randomly ran into one of you the other day, and I did not know how to handle it, so I do apologize. I was a little (laughs) starstruck, not by myself, but by you, that you would actually listen to me. We just figure our (laughs) listeners are like bots out in the world that aren't real. It was so funny, because I was like, oh, I have a podcast with Crimson, and... Like, yeah, yeah, I got a I message. Listen. I got a message from someone like, "Congrats on your pregnancy." I'm like, "How the fuck do you know? I haven't seen you in 20 years." They're like, "Um, your podcast." I'm like, "Oh, so right." Thank you, thank you, thank you all for being consistent listeners. And I promise, when we come back, we were gonna be better than ever. And it's a sad thing to take a hiatus, but I think we're really focused on maintaining the quality. And unfortunately, Crimson and I are finite resources, so. Yeah, but I will be, uh, check crimsonian.com because I will be uh, trying to write more. So I will post uh, blog pieces there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so make sure to still follow us and stay in the loop. But you will not see us in your podcast feed for a little while. For just a little bit. Yeah, so sorry. Sayonara. Thank you. Um, <laughs> on the plus side, everyone's sick of hearing about politics anyway. Yeah, I know. Like, even I've gotten to the point where it's like, oh, man, Crimson... There's nothing I love more than news. Like, I'm one of those people that if I had cable, like, I love 24-hour news. It's as gross as it is, and it is gross. I will. It's horrible. I had it in Cleveland, and it was like. Oh, God, and you were probably like, ah. And I love to check my, like, the news and everything, but I have, I've gotten to a point where it just, ugh, it's too much. And every day it's something new, and it doesn't seem to be, we seem to be in this weird stalemate, which, don't get me wrong, I am thankful for. Right. Uh, but there's also, I mean, there's a stress to that. Yeah. You know, even when the world hasn't yet blown up, is there still a stress because we feel like we're kind of hanging on the edge? So because of that, we were going to talk about anxiety today, which I think is a great topic and probably one that, well, first of all, I mean, everyone has anxiety. Yeah. Um, anxiety is an important emotion. We often try and distance ourselves from it. But if you think about, you know, evolutionarily, anxiety is incredibly important. Anxiety was what helped us know not to go pet that woolly mammoth. Right. And to run the other direction. Right. <laughs> or that that tiger may not be as cute as it looks. So Don't cuddle the tiger. <laughs> don't cuddle the tiger. Um, so, I mean, anxiety has a very important evolutionary purpose. And we all have it to a certain degree. But what I think, you know, my sense anecdotally is that we are all experiencing a level of chronic anxiety and stress uh, currently in America just due to the level of kind of dis-ease and uncertainty that we're facing. Yeah, we're living in unstable times. And I mean, part of what makes anxiety unhealthy is the the hamster wheel of it, right? Yeah. Like just getting trapped in the what ifs and when things are unstable... <laughs> What else are you going to do except contemplate, what if the ice caps melt? What if Trump bombs North Korea? What if North Korea bombs us? So Crimson is demonstrating what I like to call the wormhole. Yes. (laughs) When you just start. And some Um, other people I've heard it called the hamster wheel. You know, kind of it just starts and you go and you go and you go. And so I think one of the things uh, we're going to talk about, you know, the different types of anxiety um, today, kind oh, of hold on. What, what if Trump gets our voter information <laughs> and starts like a public list so oh, no. people start taking out liberals? Oh, no, now I'm going down the wormhole too. <laughs> okay, I'll stop. But my brain went there. Yeah, okay. Uh, I will like to say that Kentucky is one of the states that is refusing. Thank God. Um, Allison Lundergan Grimes said all the bourbon in Kentucky would not make this seem like a reasonable request, which I liked it. Yes. I thought it was sassy. <laughs> um, so we're going to talk about what anxiety is, what, you know, kind of what constitutes an anxiety disorder, the different disorders. 
um, kind of neurologically what's happening with anxiety and what we can do to stay in that anxious place or what we can do to better cope and try and move out of that kind of anxious place. Right. So what do you, I think we all have different definitions. I mean, what, how would you describe anxiety? I mean, I think it is a physical manifestation and a mental manifestation of irrational emotions irrational emotions so you don't think there's any rational anxiety it's it comes from a rational place but Mm -hmm. i feel like people that don't suffer from anxiety disorders or like because to your point anxiety is normal right and what makes it abnormal is when you don't control it necessarily or you you let it control you yeah i think it's you know there's definitely we all need to have a certain level of anxiety um, in our life. I think one of the things I'll hear often, you know, when working with adolescents is this idea of, I have anxiety, so I have an anxiety disorder. No, right. that's not the case. Um, you are right. Anxiety disorders cause a significant uh, difficulty with coping. Um, they can lead to maladaptive behaviors, including substance use and things like that, which we can talk about. Um, but I think your anxiety really is, it's fear. Yeah. I mean, that's, that is essentially, sorry guys, my printer's talking. It's got things to say. (laughs) Um, I mean, it is an essentially, it is a fear response and you're right in the fact that it's not just mental, it's physical. Again, we often think that anxiety is just in our head, but it's not. We typically have physical symptoms of anxiety prior to even noticing the mental. Right. So you might be like, why are my palms sweaty? And then you start thinking it through and you're like, because I'm thinking about Donald Trump getting those voter rolls. Right. Or if you're me, it's because I have lymphoma and lymphoma (laughs) has affected. So so let's actually dive in. So I'm going to go through uh, the probably the like the prime different uh, anxiety disorders. Um, And we're just going to kind of talk about them real fast. So Crimson, when she was talking about her, let's see. I have all of them. You have all of them. You don't have all of them. No, I mean, part of the inspiration of this is that (laughs) um, I have had anxiety since my first panic attack. I was 11. It was the first one I remember. Mm -hmm. And I went like 10 years without a panic attack. And since I've been pregnant, I've had two or three like severe panic attacks. And so I'm back to, you know, I feel like I've regressed to 19 year old me. And I'm like, shit, like this never goes away. Right. And you have to learn to cope with it. And obviously, mm-hmm. I was able to use coping strategies when I was not pregnant. But now, since I'm a hormonal pregnant woman, it's different. It's, you it's have to different, use, right? Use different so kind I'm of having to like reengage in yeah. understanding this problem. Yeah. Um, and you know, in the last 15 years, science has advanced, and anxiety is much more top of mind topic and so there's a lot of really good resources out there now yeah um outside of therapy that can help so anyhow yeah, so absolutely that was part of the inspiration for talking about it because so it is shitty shit what you so when you talk about you know kind of the fear of getting sick the fear of having illness um typically we associate that with either a specific phobia or obsessive compulsive disorder um, specific phobia is exactly what it sounds like. There is something specific that you are scared of. In my case, it's Dex. I am now... Dex? Dex. Oh, I was Ever thinking of Ever since I like, fell through my deck. Advertising I now, me is like, 
Wait, you mean like a PowerPoint deck? Because, I mean, there's some really bad PowerPoint decks out there. Oh, man, I'm so triggered by PowerPoints. No, uh, no, it's almost just as crazy. Decks. I went to my father-in-law's this weekend, and he has a deck that's an aerial prayer, and I had to walk up on it. Oh. And it was intense. Now, I wouldn't say that Is it's... Is that more like PTSD, though? Because, like... Well, you bring up an interesting point. Um, it depends. And this is where things get kind of clinically gray. Now, I will say my fear of decks is just a fear of decks. It's nothing clinical at this point. Um, but it has been interesting, like, to kind of really have to face the fact that I now have a very strong fear of decks. And for me, not to get too personal, but I have OCD. Um, and that's, I've, I've had, I've been diagnosed with a lot of different anxiety disorders. And finally, I got diagnosed with OCD, and it makes perfect sense to me. Uh for a long time, it didn't quite click, uh, but I think the thing is with the OCD is you have this obsessional right. kind of thinking. So when I get back on a deck, part of my OCD is a fear of getting hurt or others getting hurt. So when I got on that deck, that obsessional thinking and even that sensation of falling, it, it overcomes me. And it's really hard to get out of that. Um, so, so again, I mean, I think where this gets, it all kind of, Things overlap. There aren't clear divides. Um, but a specific phobia is what you would think of with a person who is scared of the dentist, who is scared of heights. Flying. Flying. Things like that. To the point that they avoid. Right. Avoid, avoid, avoid. We'll talk about avoidance a little bit more in a minute. Um, the other ones I want to touch on are their social anxiety disorder. Um, which is focused on social engagements, anxiety that stems from conversations, interpersonal um, matters, even just being in a room with a lot of people. And this be. is more severe than just hating people. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> this is not, I'm shy, I've got social anxiety. This is debilitating. Right. Um, and social anxiety can present in a lot of different ways. For some people, it is just that fear of getting up in front of a group of people. Mm -hmm. uh, and oftentimes that goes along with, you know, kind of the idea of raising your hand in class. That is yep. too much. Um, the next one is panic disorder. So panic disorder is different than just a regular anxiety disorder in that panic disorder is all about panic attacks. And they need to be recurrent. Um, they often have you know, kind of a fear of losing control or fear that you're dying or something's wrong with your body. Uh, you often have some sweating, trembling, uh, shortness of breath, feelings of choking, discomfort, a sense that I need to get out of this place or this situation now, but not necessarily an ability to cope with it. Does that right. sound familiar? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're like, oh, yeah. Old hat. All right, uh, so the most common is generalized anxiety disorder, which means you have just a high level of anxiety all the time. Um, there, with generalized anxiety disorder, you can have panic attacks. It would be a generalized anxiety disorder with a panic attack, panic attack specifier. So basically what that means is you're anxious all the time, and on occasion you will have panic attacks. Right. And then the only other one that's kind of worth mentioning um, is agoraphobia. So uh, agoraphobia used to be, this is really lame. You the Macaulay Culkin disease. The Macaulay, is Macaulay Culkin an agoraphobia? Yeah. Well, at least does he have like a nice estate that he can yeah, stay on? Yeah, he, he used to be. I don't know if he. Interesting. Is, I did yeah, not know that. Yeah, he didn't like leave his house for like 10 years or yeah. something. Yeah. Agoraphobia is basically a level of anxiety that 
places you in a state where you are very, very fearful of specific kind of circumstances that are external. So using public transportation, being in open spaces, being in closed spaces, standing in line or being in a crowd or being outside of the home alone. So often we have, oh, home alone. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so often you hear about agoraphobia as like kind of being kind of stuck in the house. Um, but it can be it can be a couple different kind of factors that play into it. Um, and in fact, it says here that just being home alone, being outside of home alone is not enough. You need to have one other kind of characteristic as well. So just wanting to stay home does not, not cut it. So that's kind of the, the clinical piece as far as anxiety. Um, yeah. And something I want to talk about because I think there's a lot of myths around anxiety disorders, right? That... Like, for example, that to have an anxiety disorder, you have to have some kind of severe mental health problem, right? That there's something more that's driving the anxiety. Mm-hmm. And that's not true. I mean, no. you can be you can be 35 and have your first panic attack. You yep. could have no symptoms for most of your life, or you could have it your whole life. It yep. could be ingrained in your DNA. Um, but I think a lot of people hesitate to talk about it because it seems like such an abnormality, yeah. um, but it's really not. Well, it's interesting because I do think there are there is kind of a sense that, like, um, it's all or nothing. It's either we don't talk about anxiety because there's a sense that something's wrong or we've got the flip side of what I was talking about with, like, the adolescence where everyone has anxiety. I've right. got an anxiety disorder. You know, I, this is this is this, and, and I think that there we really get lost in kind of the nuance of the fact, again, that we all have a certain level of anxiety. Right. And at different points in our, li- in our lives, that balance of anxiety versus other emotions and other experiences can get out of whack. Right. Um, anxiety can come along. It doesn't just have to be anxiety disorder. It can come along with depression. Depression and anxiety right. are typically two sides of the same coin. Which are a horrible cycle to get into, yeah, right? Absolutely. Because it takes a lot of motivation to get the coping strategies yep. in place. When you're depressed, you're not motivated at all. No. Um, you can also have adjustment disorders with anxiety. Um, so having babies? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, there's postpartum OCD, actually. Right. And OCD is one that we didn't really talk about. It is the other uh, major kind of... Uh, classification for uh, anxiety disorders, and it's really about obsessional thinking and compulsions to help ease the obsessional thinking. Um, That in itself could be a whole other kind of episode. But you're right. I mean, I think that it's something that's either so talked about and so mainstream that we lose kind of the value of it, or it's something that we're not talking about at all. But it's pretty much one of the most essential parts of having a human emotional experience right having anxiety right and people that have it i think you get you feel so alone with it that it's easy to think that nobody understands it nobody else deals with it when in reality a a lot of people do i don't want to say a majority but at some point in your life you're bound to Mm -hmm. deal with it to your point if it's just an adjustment period of life parenthood new job um, or just a really bad day. Right. You might have a panic attack just because, not necessarily because you had a bad day, but it just could be the stars aligned and you had one. Right. And, and you may never have another. Right. Um, and that's not enough to classify you as having any type of di- disorder, but it happens. Right. 
Um, another myth that I think is important for people to understand is not true, is that anxiety is not a lifelong sentence that the symptoms you're dealing with are the rest of your life. Absolutely. Like I had a friend say, well, I'm just going to take drugs my whole life. Why go to therapy and learn coping strategies when I can take a drug? It's like diabetes. You can't ever cure it. And it's like, no, 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 no. You can, you can learn how to reprogram your brain. Yeah. So you react to the anxiety differently, right? So without any help, you are completely out on an island alone. You have this anxiety, either a panic attack or just like this obsessive kind of anxiety cycle. You can learn how to teach your brain a different way to respond to it. And by doing that, not only do you cognitively change the way you think about it, but you also change the chemical makeup of your brain at the time, right? So, I mean, a lot of what anxiety is, is to your point, it's built in us so Mm -hmm. that way we don't go try to cuddle a saber-toothed tiger. (laughs) So cute. Um, (laughs) They would be really cute as little pups, you know? Um, But that's a stress hormone being released. In fact, I heard about this one study where... um, they put people in a room and pumped them full of adrenaline, didn't tell them what they were doing. Um, and then they had like actors in that room and some of the actors would act like fearful. And then in another room, people would act like excited and the physical sensations that came with the adrenaline could be associated with fear or excitement, right? Like mm-hmm. the actual, so the people in the room almost 100% complied with the emotions of the person acting it out. Ah, interesting. Right. So it shows that, like, you're, you can tell your brain how to react to the chemistry of your brain. But to do that, you have to understand it. And you have to be coherent and cognitive in that moment, which yeah. is part of what you have to develop in your coping strategies, right, to deal with anxiety and panic attacks. Yeah, I think, you know, you're absolutely right. I think for me, when I actually learned about neurochemically what's happening and neurologically what's happening in the brain, it was a huge aha moment. I'd spent a good amount of my life beating myself up for struggling with things that are just inherent to me and and who I am. Um, And when I finally kind of got a glimpse as to what was going on, it was really like, okay, okay, I think I can deal with this a little bit better. We have at the base of our brain is our brain stem, and that is our primary, um, you know, kind of functional area as far as breathing, blood pressure, all the stuff that we don't think about that our body regulates. And if you go just a little bit further up, you reach um, a more developed, but still a relatively primitive part of our brain, uh, which is where our fear response is, right? Right. Um, And so when we have a sensation that something's wrong, the first thing is you're going to get that fear response, Mm -hmm. that anxiety response. And you actually have to kind of sit with it for a couple seconds before that fear response actually gets to the front of your brain to executive functioning. When you can start to really evaluate, is this a real fear? Um, What historical evidence do I have to support this fear? Uh, How should I best behave in this situation and negate the fear? Right. Um, But that all comes after the initial triggering. So I think one of the hardest things is that you kind of have to let the brain have its 
process before you react to right. it. And we see this particularly with individuals who have experienced repeated trauma, mm-hmm. is that those pathways up to the executive functioning of the brain are not nearly as well developed as the pathways up to the fear center. Right. And so the instinct is to react based off of that fear response versus actually really processing through what the situation but is. But correct me if I'm wrong, you can re establish a pathway yes and that's part of cognitive restructuring is probably one of the most researched and well-documented um therapeutic interventions uh cbt uh cognitive behavioral therapy that's what it's based on that's my favorite yeah it's good stuff it's all about (laughs) uh focusing on really strengthening and rebuilding those pathways and it is a skill you have to practice it Right, and I don't mean to say that there's no place for drugs in this conversation, sure. right? Because I think that drugs Everybody's are important. anxiety is different. Yeah. And, and that's why it's important to seek a professional's help. And sometimes you need help stabilizing the chemistry mm-hmm. before you can actually dig into the, the, the hard work of restructuring your brain. Yeah. Um, and so I'm not trying to say that drugs don't have a place, but... For people specifically with long-term anxiety disorders that may be a result of their genetics or trauma, mm-hmm. they need to be in therapy. I mean, at the end of the day, they need to be doing something consistently to do that. So I um, think the key for me here is to really, really go back to the fact that this is a skill. And a yes. skill has to be practiced. Well, and I think that's why a lot of my disagreement with religion... Um, is because I had the same epiphany. So I have an undergraduate in psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a couple years into that degree that I was like, holy shit. Like, I'm not some unique fucked up person. <laughs> like, there is a reason for what's happening. And I have the power within me yeah. to, like, fix myself. Yeah. You know? And I didn't go to therapy until I was much older. Um but it was enough to make me realize that it wasn't like a sentence of I had to live my life in this state. Like, yeah. And I think that if people spent two hours every Sunday <laughs> learning about their brain and practicing these skills and meditating and doing the things needed for your mental health, they would probably be in a much better shape than what they think maybe the the church is giving them. Well, and I'm not saying you can't do both, but mm-hmm. I'm just saying I know a lot of people are like, I don't have time for therapy. I don't have time to deal with my mental health. It's easier to take a pill. It's easier to do this. When it's like, well, you spent three hours at church on Sunday. Well, faith can be an incredible tool for a lot of people. So I don't want to discount just that entire Right, but if you've been doing faith your whole life and you're still struggling... You might need another piece sure, of the pie. Sure. I mean, I think, you know, there's definitely, there's different ways to practice these things. Um, there's a lot of different ways to skin this cat, so to speak. But you had mentioned um, hormonally kind of what is happening. Um, so when we experience anxiety and particularly chronic stress, which my theory is we're all experiencing at this moment in time, um, <laughs> is that cortisol actually gets released into mm-hmm. our bloodstream. Cortisol is a stress hormone. It's not good. It's not good. It does a couple of very interesting things. First is it turns off your metabolism. So if the, you are under chronic stress, most likely you're going to be gaining weight. Um, the second is that it turns off your immune system. So if you're chronically stressed, you're more likely to get sick. It also decreases our rational ability, um, which does not help with the cycle of anxiety. (laughs) Making bad decisions when you're already in an anxious mindset. Always a good idea, right? Right. Um, And I think we often don't talk about this, but the easiest thing for us to get addicted to is our own brain chemistry. 
Cortisol gives us almost a kind of an adrenaline like kick, you know, kind of a just a, I consider it kind of the survival hormone, mm-hmm. you know, kind of you got to keep going. You're just checking the boxes. You're just trying to survive. You're going to get through, but you're not actually functioning at a level that is healthy um, or is going to be helpful to getting rid of that kind of that chronic stress. Right. Yeah. And I think that's, so maybe we should start talking about coping because I think, um, what it comes down to is anxiety is part of life. It is. These chemicals. nowhere. You don't want it to. This chemistry lives within us. It can release itself at any point in time. Um, yes, you can know your ghost. (laughs) I don't know why that came to mind. Like it lives in a cage and like anxiety is here. You know, it's interesting you say that because, um, okay. So I have, I've been to therapy. I've tried drugs. I've tried everything to deal with anxiety. And, um, I've read so many self-help books on anxiety that like I'm against self-help books. I just think they're all shitty. Oh, I've got a good one for you. Well, so I recently, um, I subscribed to Audible. Mm-hmm. FYI, Amazon is doing 40% off for six months Ooh. of Audible. Um, and I, against my better judgment, I picked up a book called Dare. Um, it has like a long tagline, Dare, the new way to end anxiety and stop panic attacks. It's currently free on Kindle, for the Kindle editions, free on Amazon awesome. um, for Prime members. Uh, like I said, I did the audio version and the reason it struck a chord is one, I mean, a lot of therapists have anxiety too, but it's rare that they position themselves as like, this is what I've had to deal with. Um, and I appreciated him being honest about his struggles Mm -hmm. and it, it was from a different place in the sense that I get the impression that he didn't have struggles with it and probably had seen lots of clients and then for the first time, how to deal with it. And I mm-hmm. think it like reset sure. kind of the realities of it. Yeah. Um, but the reason I really liked the method was it was the first time that it was not like, okay, breathe, meditate, go to therapy, like the things I know mm-hmm. as a professional anxious person. Um, but instead it really said, own it. Like you need to own this part of your life. Mm-hmm. So um, he gives four coping steps. I guess there's four steps to his, um, method. And again, they all sound kind of cheesy, but I've been doing it just for the last few days and I could see how it can retrain your brain. So the first thing when you start feeling anxiety, come on, is just go, so what? Like, okay. So for me, oh my God, why do I have a headache there? I've never felt a headache there. It has to be a brain tumor. I'm not going to get to see my kid grow up. Blah. And then I'm supposed to say, fuck it. So what? I die of a fucking brain tumor. Like, just fuck it. Whatever. And it makes you, it stops the cycle. And I think the reason it stops it is because, I mean, it's not genuine. It's not like I'm genuinely like, fuck it. But it's me talking to myself and stopping the You're cycle. Interrupting. I'm interrupting yeah. the cycle. Um, and so it seemed cheesy at first, but if you just keep saying it to yourself, you do break the cycle of it. So the second step he gives is allow and accept. So another thing people with anxiety tend to do um, is to think, like, why do I have to be this way? And I do this all the time. Like, okay, 
Because once I start the cycle, so with mine, it's mostly medical stuff. So, right, I get a little bit of headache, then I have a brain tumor, then my palms start sweating, that sign of lymphoma, then it's spread in my body, and it keeps going. And then I'm like, no, this is anxiety. I, I had to deal with this my whole life. Like, this is fucked up. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. And I think him saying you just have to accept it is like, no. Okay, now I'm going to have lymphoma. <laughs> Now I'm going to have, you know, I'm going to do all these things because this is what I do, like accepting that that's what my brain does. So it's not necessarily allowing it as much as it's... You're validating the emotion. I'm ending it too, though, right? Like, because I'm saying, okay, now my hands are going to get sweaty and now my brain's going to think this. And now, like, no, like, just do it. Like, this is what I'm going to go through. And that's actually the third step is... To just own it, like yeah. go through it. Yeah. And I think that would, that one's really good for panic attacks, right? Because mm-hmm. when I start to cycle through a panic attack, I hate myself for it. You know, like I had one in front of my son and it like, it made it even worse. Cause I'm like, I hate who I am. Like my kids should not have to see this. But then I'm like, I think that, you know, I haven't had one since I started this book, but I think just owning it and being like, I need away from everyone. This is what I'm doing for the next 10 minutes would have been better than thinking I could stop it. That like I was in control of that degree. Um, And so he says, run in it, own it, feel the emotions, you know, like even he even recommends like getting up and kind of doing like the Rocky dance, you know, like just like kind of shaking it out of you and like accepting it and letting it be your whole being. Because to your point, a lot of this are cycles in your brain. They're Mm -hmm. pathways, right? And just let your brain cycle through and all you're changing is your understanding of what's happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the fourth part is engage it. Learn ways to use it to your advantage, mm-hmm. right? So once you can control your understanding of it, you can actually engage it, those hormones when needed, right? So there are certain situations where it might be good, um, like public speaking. It's sometimes good to have a little bit of adrenaline yeah. running through you. Yeah. Um, so I highly recommend the book, and I don't know what you have to say about his It methods. sounds really good. I mean, I think, you know, one of the the key things for me is that with anxiety, we often do try and talk ourselves out of it, which doesn't make things better. You no. know, I think there is a level where validating the emotional experience, emotions are neither good nor bad. They are, okay, I am anxious right now. Right. Versus saying, like, well, I shouldn't feel this way or or that doesn't make sense or, like, trying to immediately talk yourself out of it. I do agree absolutely owning it. The other strategy that I would really encourage uh, people to be aware of is that often when we're anxious, we avoid. Right. If there's something that makes us anxious, we avoid. And when we avoid something, it actually um, gives us very temporary relief from the anxiety, but then ultimately in the long term builds the anxiety more so that we're more likely to avoid it in the future. Right. And we get in this loop of avoidance. So um, for me, this has become a big kind of, ah, uh, it's a red flag I look for in myself. Like, you know, we all have those weeks where you've got so many fucking, you got to go to the bank, you got to go to this, you got to do that, you got to do that. And you just start to get in this kind of this place of overwhelm, or at least I do. I like that the bank is like... Well, that's what I had to do today. So that's what I said in my... I had to go get something signed by a notary and do something in my account. a fucking bank, man. You. I do. I have a banker. Oh, God. Yeah, I know. It's what is this? Crazy. 1982? I'm I, okay. like, Anyway. Um, but yeah, so, you know, you start to like kind of avoid. But the thing is, the more you avoid, the more that anxiety is. So when I start to get that sense of overwhelm, that kind of that 
kind of the dread, that anxious kind of feeling, my first thing is I try and write down, what am I avoiding? What are the things that I'm avoiding in this moment? And how can I at least make a plan to not avoid them? So I found that to be a really, really stress, uh, really, really successful strategy for helping just to kind of negate some of the, just the normal kind of day-to-day anxiety. And I am somebody that if I get overwhelmed, I shut down. Yep. Um, and ain't nobody got time for that. Ain't nobody got Life time for that. Stop. Life does not stop. You just wake up the next day and go, oh, my God. Well, and it, it can cycle into depression, right? Yeah. If you go into this avoidance state and then you shut down from being overwhelmed, you are avoiding life experience. Isolation is a key symptom of depression. Um, and so it definitely can. There, There's a lot. There's a lot kind of there that can be kind of unpacked between it. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, anxiety is a very special thing. I would like to say that my relationship with anxiety has become more civil (laughs) than it was before. Mine was until I got pregnant. Man, that hormone shit matters. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Like, I have been a mess. And I felt like I had a really good grasp on it. Yeah. uh, In the last four or five years of my life. But But that's the thing. I mean, it waxes and wanes, you know? And you said something earlier that... You know, you may you may not have ever had any symptoms in one day. You might have a panic right. attack. And just know that if that happens, there are lots of resources. You are not alone. And you're when not you having a heart attack. Too. You're not having a heart attack. I know that that's a, that's a common, the first panic attack people often feel like they've, they're having a heart attack. Uh, but just remember that this is not, you're going through a biological process. Right. Um, and it has obviously emotional, personal, social costs to it too, but you are ultimately going through a biological process and there are ways to retrain the brain. Yeah. I mean, I've been having, so I have a fear of movie theaters and this happened before Aurora, Colorado. Like I think someone's going to come into a theater and shoot people. And this has been like a fear for the last like 20 years of my life. And normally, you know, I cope through it. I get through it. And it, since I've been pregnant, it's a problem again. Like, I'm, like, checking out exits and coming up with an exit strategy, like, picturing how I'm going to protect my kid from getting shot. And this is really what my brain does. So that's hypervigilance. That's actually a different kind of symptomology. Yay. Yay. I mean, it is is anxiety, but hypervigilance happens. uh, We see it a lot with trauma. Um, and PTSD, uh, but hypervigilance is a state of like kind of chronic arousal. So when you talk about always looking for the exits, knowing how you're going to get out, knowing, you know, can I go under the seat? Can I go over the seat? Things like that. I mean, that's a level of hypervigilance. Can a bullet penetrate the plastic of a seat? Yes. 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 So that is when you find yourself in states like that, my best suggestion is to take a deep therapeutic breath, close your eyes, reopen them, and try and focus on what is the positives in the situation. Hmm. Yeah. And maybe the positive (laughs) is just that there are exits. Yeah. Yeah, there's always emergency exits. And you can sit close to them to alleviate some anxiety. But I try not to cave into things like that, right? Yeah, yeah. And I actually, so in Cleveland, there's the USS Cod... Like, Cod. after the fish. Oh. Um, it's really cool. It's a submarine. She loves fucking Cleveland, you guys. <laughs> it's so real life. Oh, Cleveland rocks, man. Um, <laughs> I just showed my age. Uh, 
So, yeah, and I am very claustrophobic. I do not do well. I think that's part of my airplane problem is I don't like being in small places. Mm-hmm. And um, I kind of was concerned with the whole submarine thing, but then I get there. And keep in mind, I'm like eight and a half months pregnant, so <laughs> things aren't easy. pretty pregnant. Uh, and, you know, you have to go down, like, this little hole on this tiny ladder, and I'm just like... You know, I, I, there's, there's no way I'm going to get through this, but I kind of want to see my kid do it. I don't know. So I like cope through it mm-hmm. and it was crazy cause I felt in control. Like I was managing Good for the you. anxiety, but like a knot in my throat just developed. And if that happens to me on airplanes, like even when I'm coping and like, I feel in control, you know, cause there's like two airplane me's there's like the. I'm kind of in control. People don't know I'm dying inside. Mm-hmm. And then there's like the, don't fucking look at me, um, <laughs> which has happened, uh, which is why I try not to fly in post 9-11 world because I'm worried I'll get arrested. But um, yeah, I've done some crazy shit in airplanes. Uh, but when I'm like kind of together, it like builds a knot in my throat where I just feel like I could cry the whole time. And that happened to me on the USS Cod. Uh, but I coped through it. Good for you. Uh, well, and you didn't avoid it. No, and I didn't avoid it. And I was really proud of myself yeah. because right when I saw it, I'm just like, you know, life would be easier if I just sit up on the top yep. deck. But and you chill. didn't avoid no, it. No, I didn't. I coped through it. Um, yeah, a, a brief moment of coping. I like the other thing from the Dare book that you talked about, like about the idea of like kind of physically trying to get the anxiety yeah. out. Anxiety is energy. Yep. And if we just sit on our couch with it, it's, it, you know, I try and uh, I've got a playlist that I put on. And then I do. I run around the house, like, dancing like a fucking idiot. Right. My dogs look at me like, oh, bitch, be crazy again. Um, I think it's really important to remember that that is energy and you got to get it out somehow. You know, that's interesting because that is one of my parenting coping skills. It's like when my kid's like a total dick, you know, like completely past the point of reconciliation. Like, I cannot... I can't communicate with them. I can't do anything. And now that he's four, I'm like, you have to figure this out, right? Like, you have to cope. And I can't talk to him at that point because mm-hmm. he's, like, past – there's no return. He has to calm himself down. I will put in earbuds. And I did this when he was, like, 18 months, too. I will put in earbuds and, like, angry clean. <laughs> um, and it, it calms me down. And yeah. usually he – all the time, anytime I employ this method – he pulls it together, you know, mm-hmm. like he will figure it out. And within a few minutes, he's usually like, okay, like I'm ready to talk well, about this. Well, and I this. think that's a great parenting strategy to really put um, him in control of self-soothing. Yeah, I mean, it's hard you to do. acting to soothe because you won't always be there to soothe. Well, and I think it's hard to do, and I've noticed this a lot. I think it's because in the first like year, year and a half of life, like it's your job to soothe, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's hard to like flip the switch to be like, yeah. No, it's your turn, but I'm yeah. starting to realize that I think it's because of my struggles with anxiety. I know when there's a point of no return. Yeah. I know that, like, I can't fix this. He has to figure this shit out. Yeah. And, uh, but it's so hard to deal with that if I just put in my earbuds, find, like, soothing music, and I usually angry clean. There's no doubt about it. Like, I don't like cleaning, but when I'm pissed off, I'm it's really a good, good way to get that energy out. Man, yeah, then scrub. I'm knocking out, you know, one bird, two. I've been one, uh, two birds, one stone. Making bread 
and I knead it out oh, and really yeah. like punch it, really knead it out. And I find it to be very therapeutic too. Yeah. I think that's why my husband likes making bread. Yeah. I just, <laughs> I think it's, it's very, I mean, I like bread. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I think I have found it to be probably one of the most therapeutic things that I've done in a long time. Yeah. And, uh, speaking of kids, I think that's a big motivation to get a grasp on this stuff. Yeah. Right. Cause there's genetic, mm-hmm. uh, predispositions. So if you've struggled with it most of your life, there's a possibility your kid's going to struggle with it. Um, and for me, I didn't have any examples of how to cope. Yeah. I didn't have, I didn't have the, the language. I didn't have, I think the, the language is so, yeah, important. I didn't have the skills. I didn't have, um, any experience with it. I had no idea yeah. how to deal with it. And so like, as much as I hated my kids seeing me have a panic attack, I'm like, well, he's probably going to have them too. Um, mm-hmm. and maybe he'll be lucky and won't have what I've had, which is a but lifetime battle. But maybe he'll have a friend someday right. who's having one. So I, I or think maybe when right. he has a kid that's being an asshole to him. <laughs> he'll be like, get out the old earbuds yes. <laughs> from 2000-something. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows what it'll be. It'll be like a plant, a chip planted yeah. in his brain. Let me turn on the chip. Let me put on head in the heart, <laughs> chill music. Um, yeah, so it's important for us to come to terms with it. Um, and I think it's important to talk about it. Uh with your friends, with your family. It's not something to be ashamed of. It's a With natural... your therapist, with your support system, with anybody. Yeah, and therapy is a big part of it, especially for people that are naive to the brain, right? Because yeah. I think that... Education and skill building yeah, is what we do. Yeah, it's not fun to sit down and read a psych book. It's yeah. just not. Um, but I also but... think that, you know, having... And I think oftentimes, and you mentioned earlier, you know, I think self-help books can be incredibly powerful for people. Um, but I think that there's a piece missing when you don't have somebody to actually practice with. Right, and there and are life dispute. experiences that build these pathways in our brain, and so it helps to have someone... One book someone... ain't gonna fix it. No. It's a process. No. One therapy session, or a million, won't fix it, per se. But, but if it gives you the in, opportunity yeah. to practice and really build the skills up. But if you've been working on this for a long time, I recommend reading D.A.R.E., even for people that haven't, because... I think he does a good job. Like, I like the neuroscience books. Mm -hmm. You know, I like the, you know, especially, like, all the parenting books I have are written by neuroscientists. They're like, oh, this is what's happening to their brain. Mm -hmm. This is why they can't deal with this, and this is why they can deal with this. Your kid's not going to be a narcissist their whole life. They just are when they're four. Like, that egocentricity. Yeah. (laughs) yeah, Like, (laughs) I like having, like, the heavy reading for that. Yeah. But Dare was one of the first books I picked up that was, like totally like no neuroscience going on right it's just this anxiety this is how you know you can you can get over this you can rewire your brain but it doesn't get into anything more than that in terms of neuroscience so i recommend it to people that are trying to figure it out um to get a grasp on it or uh been in this world for a long time and looking for something to uh, help you develop new coping skills because uh life doesn't get easier Nope. Sure doesn't. Uh-uh. <laughs> Unless you don't have kids, you travel the world. It's still not easy. Uh, no, it's still not easy. You just don't have the adjustment problems. <laughs> uh, Maybe. I don't know. You could have adjustment problems. You, know, you still have aging parents. You still, I mean, there's still, yeah, like, it just never gets not, easier. You know, life is a roller coaster. 
Yeah. Up and down and all around. So uh, we did not plan a selling out. I mean, obviously, Dare, the book, yeah, is a sellout. Yeah, I think sellout. that's their selling out. Um, but also, watch House of Cards, the last season. Oh, the shit, Season man. five, I think. Yeah. Man, it is intense. I thought it was going to end, but it clearly is not ending. No, it's not. I Googled it, and it is going to have another season. Mm. So for those that were invested in House of Cards... Uh, Go back and watch it. I know it's hard because it's like nothing compared to what's going on in real life, but... Definitely worth watching it. Claire and Frank Underwood see that storyline through. Yes. Uh, yeah, it was a good season. Yeah. I felt like last season, I don't know if I was like that into it. And I was nervous about this season because yeah. Donald Trump's president. And it just, uh, did you know that that show is based off of a British show? Well, it is. But those characters, the writer wrote it as what he thought the Republicans viewed Hillary and Bill Clinton as. Oh, interesting. Like the, you know, the conspiracy theorist version yeah. of Bill and Hill. Yeah. Yeah, so. Interesting. I can uh, see that. Yeah, you can totally see that I once you hear totally that. I can um, see that. I don't think they're like murderers or anything, but whatever. Um, who knows? Who knows? Uh, so, yeah, check it out. And, you don't uh, think they're murderers. Bill oh, and Hill? I thought you were talking. Okay. No, yeah. the Underwoods, I, was like, I mean. Uh, the Underwoods have murdered plenty of people. <laughs> yeah. Not to spoil anything, but uh, well, there is some murder. I mean, by the first season, you, you get a grasp. Yeah, you get a grasp. Um, so, yeah, so we will miss you guys. We will be back in the fall. Uh, keep an eye on our Twitter feed and our Facebook feed. And check out Crimsonian.com once in a while. And uh, we will keep content coming to you. Um, otherwise, thanks for you, we'll miss uh, you. your time. Yeah. And peace out, bitches. Later.